Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. So happy to have you back for another episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Oh my goodness, so excited. We have another amazing episode waiting for you. Before we get into that, a few things going on. Make sure you pay attention to my website, leadero.com. There are some new and fun things happening there. So we are going, we've just released, we're going to be doing another pilgrimage. I'm so excited. I'm going to lead another pilgrimage with Father Michael O'Loughlin. He is one of the host of the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast, a pretty popular one. If you are a podcast listener, you're probably already listening to that one. So Father Michael and I are going to lead another pilgrimage together, and it's going to be to Italy in June of 2020. So plenty of time to save up those funds. So if you are interested in that, go ahead and check that out on my website, leadero.com. Another fun announcement that I want to make sure that you know about is that we have started a Patreon page for the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I fully 100 thousand percent believe that we are in this together. And so I'm asking for you to help support the podcast and why I need support because we want to do more. And let me explain exactly what that more means. We want to offer video long form podcast for some special guests. So we want to continue doing the podcast and we want to be able to upgrade our equipment and actually do a video podcast for you, which I really believe will add new and better feature to my interviews. We can go deeper and get more personal with our guest. Just add more value to what's going on here. So that's what we want to do. If you want to become a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, just go to patreon.com slash leadero. It'll be in the show notes. You can click on that link and you can support the podcast at a variety of different tiers. Now, you know, I love the office. So I have... I have made tiers based on office characters. So you could support me at the Jim Halpert level or the Kelly Kapoor. If you support me at the Jim Halpert level, you get a really cool, do something beautiful mug that I designed. It's amazingly beautiful. I love it. And so you get some really fun, neat swag at each one of these tiers. That is exclusive to my do something beautiful patrons. So I'm not selling it elsewhere. It's you get these things, you get some special things at all the different tiers. So, and I even have a Stanley Hudson tier and I love it because the picture I have of him is him saying, shove it up your butt. So regardless, if you are going to help me with the podcast here, go ahead and take a look at the tiers, especially if you love The Office, because you'll just enjoy the pictures and little gifts that I put up for each one of the characters. And I even put up a tier for Robert California because he's insane. So it's a really insane tier, but it's fun. It's funny to say the least. So anyways, those are some of the new things going on. We got the pilgrimage coming out in June of 2020. Go ahead and check that out if you want to go on a trip with me and Father Michael, we will lead you through Italy where all the fine wine and food is and all the saints and all the great places to pray. That will be included as well. And then also, if you want to be a patron and we, you want to support the Do Something Beautiful podcast, we would really need it and greatly appreciate it. So you can support the Do Something Beautiful podcast at patreon.com slash Darrow. It's going to be fun. Go ahead and check out the tiers if anything. It's pretty funny. Okay, moving on to our guest today is Dr. Dr. Greg Bataro. Dr. Greg Bataro is a clinical psychologist, 
practicing in the Connecticut and New York area. He sees many others through online therapy as well. He specializes in this integration of Catholic philosophy and theology with psychology. So important. So important to have both of those in there. Now, before his professional career, he actually lived for four years in the Bronx with the CFR Franciscans as a friar in temporary vows, which is pretty amazing, right? So he ultimately felt God was calling him to pursue the vocation of marriage. So he loved there. He went on to complete his doctorate in psychology, got married, all these beautiful things. We talk a lot about the Catholic view in psychology in the wounds that many of us hold on to this day and what we are really seeking. Dr. Botero narrows it down to one thing. This podcast is really about one thing. And he goes through all that he has seen in the patients that he has worked with, the wounds that he sees that are common in, in all of us. And he narrows it down to one thing that we need, the one thing that we're looking for. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this podcast. It is phenomenal. This is the very first podcast ever in my in the many years of us doing this where I have actually challenged the challenge. <laughs> I challenged his challenge, which I can't believe I did, but I did. And to be honest with you, I'm very happy that I did because I love his answer. So make sure you listen to the very end because it is well worth your time, my friends. I cannot wait for you to listen to this. Here is Dr. Greg Bataro. And like always, we have another fantastic guest today, Dr. Greg Bataro. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to chat with you. For your background, I was reading your your bio. It's pretty interesting. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been it's been a colorful adventure so far. I love it. Now, granted, I say this and we're we're gonna get into it in a minute. I always find it interesting though, that we find it so interesting for somebody like you to have the background that you have, which in some ways, is the path that God wants us all on. And what I'm speaking of is the fact that you spent four years with the CFR Franciscans in the Bronx in mm-hmm. New York and discerned out of that and ultimately mm-hmm. thought, you know, you ultimately believe God's calling you to marriage. And then you go and you pursue your doctorate in psychology. I mean, but I think what you did there is what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to seek out Him in our vocation. And for us to dive into that, now it can look very different, right? We don't have to spend four years maybe with the Franciscans, but <laughs> but that is really the path. Yet, yet when we come across people who actually dove in head first, we find it so intriguing. Yeah, I think it, it you know it really kind of speaks to the deepest longing and needs that every one of us has, which is to you know to be known and loved by God and to return that love in living a life that's pleasing to him. And, you know, something I I wasn't always seeking that with so much intensity, but once a couple of things really clicked for me, I just realized like, this is it. I have to go all in. And, you know, part of my story and part of what I try to help others do now is really accepting where I'm at and accepting who I am now with the full understanding that that's a work in progress. So I might not get it right. But where I am now is all I have to work with. And so, you know, when I was when I left undergraduate school and and I was, you know, kind of trying to figure out what to do, the only thing I had to go with was this burning desire to go to the Friars. And I I literally sold everything. I gave everything away. And I just went in head first and I and I went there and it was amazing. 
And then, you know, eventually God worked through some stuff in my heart that I needed to work through. And he helped me see that I'm a work in progress. And these are some wounds that are being healed. And, and then this new thing comes up. And, and that was the next step. And I went after that 100%. And that's been the story of my life, just trusting God in my relationship with him, that he's going to lead and guide me and bless whatever it is that I give to him. And, and it has been amazing and it's proven 100% successful and totally fulfilling more than I could ever describe. Mm. What you said a little while ago really stuck out to me. You said, where I am now is all I have to work with. That, for me, speaks volumes to how we can approach healing in our life or how we can approach like discerning God's will in our life. Sometimes when we're in either one of those positions, we only our view can be on where we want to be and yeah. or or where someone else is. And I think what you said there, that amount of self-awareness of where I am now, who I am right now with what's going on is all I have to work with. And then, you know, be kind of surrendering that present moment of yourself to the Lord can really help us in the next step, the next path in our journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, um, it's kind of a humbling thing to just recognize our own imperfections and weaknesses or just like we don't have all the answers. But then it's out of that that we're just totally loved. And I, I really believe that that's what it means when, when we say that we have to be like children to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it's like that recognition of our littleness, of our brokenness, of our imperfection, that we have so much more to grow into but we're just abandoning ourselves over to the arms of the father anyway. You know, so we recognize like, no, I don't have the most perfect gift to give you, but I'm going to give you what I have here. And I know that you're going to do something awesome with that. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So you have this background. You spent four years with the Franciscans. Obviously, like you, I'm assuming probably were pretty well formed by them. Those are some pretty cool dudes. I love them. Oh, yeah. I know them. I know them well. Now you have that. Now what led you into it? Were you always kind of interested in psychology or what led you into, into that field after the CFRs? Yeah. So interestingly, like on the surface, things look like I was all over the place, but there's like this deep common thread that drew me all along, which was back to my freshman year in college when I really had this like reversion to the faith. And I read Love and Responsibility by JP2. And when I read it, something about my inner makeup and in my mind, I read it and I was like, this is a brilliant manual for psychology. Like this book, which is just like this really deep abstract philosophy on, on relationship, could and should be used. And in my naivete, I was like, well, it must be already being used by Catholic psychologists everywhere as a manual of psychology. It's a blueprint for how to be in relationship and do it well. And so that was for my freshman year of college. And then that just continued to grow my, my fascination with JP2 and personalism as a philosophy, but also a, a blueprint for how to practice psychology as a field. And then I was always sort of wondering, you know, if I, I was discerning since that time as well, religious life. So I kind of had in my mind, I'll either just sort of like live that out in, in helping people find healing through religious life as a Franciscan or the professional life and the married vocation as a psychologist. And to me, they were sort of really deeply intertwined. The only difference being the sort of, you know, the external manifestation of vocation, married or celibate. But at the end of the day, like at the depths of my heart, I was always desiring the same thing. 
Mm, I love it. I love it. And I, I love the fact that you brought up love and responsibility. You're speaking to my heartstrings right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember when I first, my husband and I read that book together when we were, I think, just dating. I don't even know if we were engaged yet. And we knew that we were going to be engaged soon. It was kind of, we're heading towards that path. And we ended up taking a course at the Theology of the Body Institute on love and responsibility. And mm. Dr. Oh, yeah. yeah, Janet Smith taught that. And like you said, I mean, I have a, I mean, I have a bachelor's in psychology and I've worked about halfway through my master's in psych as well. And so for me, with this a little bit of a psych background, reading it, I was like, what is happening? Like this mm. is this is so beautifully explains everything my textbooks in college could not or would not go to. Oh yeah. And that book still to this day, I and I love theology of the body, don't get me wrong. I love it. I love it. But for me, love and responsibility is like my go-to. I'm just like, oh shoot, that's just it's a beautiful thing. So speaking of that, like love and responsibility, that and with the theology of the body influence, all of this kind of came to this place where you kind of saw your passion and your drive and the possible helping of all humanity and regardless of what vocation, as you said, through this element of healing of the human person. Yeah, exactly. That was always my driving desire. Okay, so you are the author of the book, The Mindful Catholic, which is massively popular, and I see it everywhere now. I literally see it in people's hands as they're walking through airports, so congratulations. Oh, that's awesome. It Thank is, you. and I'm so happy when I do see that, and I'm like, praise be to Jesus Christ, because we need a lot more mindful Catholics. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that term. What is Catholic mindfulness? Yeah, so mindfulness, first of all, to back up, is this practice that uh, has been made popular over the last few decades. And it's basically just a system of learning how to pay attention to the present moment. And so our minds get so distracted. And that could be simple stuff like you're just sort of driving in the car and your mind just goes off in a different direction. Next thing you know, you like miss a turn or you went through a red light or, you know, or you get someplace and, and then you, you really don't even remember how you got there. And you realize you've been mindless the whole time. And then also the sort of extreme of that is it turns into anxiety. We start ruminating, staying up at night, not being able to sleep, getting anxious about conversations or ruminating about past things that have happened. And then also just in spiritual growth and development, we see that, you know, there's so many ideas that block us from the reality and the truth of who God is. So all of that has to do with the mind and what the mind can do and what we need to be able to form it to do. So mindfulness is this eight-week protocol at its core sort of thing of what it is to help people reconnect to really paying attention to what's happening right now in this present moment. And what I've done is realized that, first of all, it comes from a Buddhist mentality and a practice. So just like the form of it, as it's presented as that eight-week protocol in most popular instances, it does come from Buddhist tradition. And I looked at that and I said, well, the research on this is really compelling. And there's something really happening inside the human person here when they practice this. And actually, it goes even further. There are brain scans, and we can see through fMRI studies, pictures of the brain before and after just eight weeks of practicing whatever this thing is, this mindfulness, there are dramatic changes in the brain, especially in the areas that have to do with anxiety, emotion regulation, and focus, and helping us to be more creative, 
and see our greater potential. There are lots of different areas that are affected and you could see it literally in pictures of the brain before and after eight weeks. So as a psychologist and as a Catholic integrated psychologist, I look at data like that and it's very interesting to me because, okay, well, obviously there's something about this from the Buddhist practice, which we would not agree with, but there's something that's working. So if it's working in the human person, it's got to participate in some way in truth. And so that's what we want to sort of dissect and figure out what's working. Why is this truthful? And then I pulled out the part that's truthful and I tried to figure out how this works within a Catholic system of spirituality. And lo and behold, what I found was that this is a kind of prayer spirituality that I practiced myself since the time I was with the friars with Father Benedict Rochelle who opened up to me the meaning behind abandonment to divine providence. And so by bringing together the scientific principles of the mindfulness practice and the spirituality of abandonment to divine providence, I've created this system of Catholic mindfulness, which is a manualized practice to be able to live out the spirituality of abandonment to divine providence. And that's something that's become very helpful in my own discernment and what I've taught my patients and now many, many other students is that, you know, we read the books like Abandonment to Divine Providence and they're inspiring and they're beautiful and they're uplifting. And we, you know, we feel like we're on top of the world. I trust God so much. I give him everything. And then you put the book down and like a week later, you're back to your old stress and rumination. And the fact is that the spiritual writing is beautiful, but we need to be able to practically, psychologically implement it. And so Catholic mindfulness is the how-to manual, which tells us, okay, every day, these are the kinds of thoughts that go through your mind. This is what you could do differently with those thoughts. These are the exercises and the practices that you can use to strengthen your muscle of trust and abandonment, which ultimately means cognitively like focusing on what's happening in this present moment. Mm, wow, that's amazing. So this this Catholic mindfulness, you talked about this like now, is this, I think you said it's like an eight-week online course. Is that correct? Yeah, so, so the book is kind of like just an introduction to the concepts, the Mindful Catholic. And then I teach a course, which I started teaching five years ago in person, and then eventually sort of caught up with the times here and did and recorded it and then put it online. So now it's an online course as well. So people that sign up, can go to, you know, get this, your own access to this portal where you go in and you can start the eight week course on your own time. There's a video of me lecturing there and there's the chapters from the book that are included within the course and then the audio exercises, which you need to practice every day where I'm basically just guiding you on exactly what to do, making it totally simple. And in that way, you can go through this eight week process yourself. Wow. And so where can people get information on that if they want to look into it. Sure, just go to catholicmindfulness.com. And there's a number of courses I teach, but the one in particular is called Introduction to Catholic Mindfulness. Okay, perfect. And don't worry, we will add that link to the show notes. So all of that will be available for you. You can easily just grab that if that sounds of interest to you. To me, it seems like this is really serving a very large population of people. It would Is that the case from what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. We see, you know, kind of have three categories of audiences where there are people that have like real legitimate anxiety and they might be even diagnosable issues of, of anxiety that data is very clear that mindfulness itself is a proven technique and it's used prescribed to treat anxiety, sometimes with medication, but many times it's effective without. And then we also have people that are struggling in their spiritual lives who are just kind of hitting these roadblocks 
and feel like there's just like something missing, something's wrong. Like I'm, something's holding me back from really experiencing the love of God and really kind of exploding in the spiritual life. And so we realize is that there's a lot of mental stuff. There's a lot of, there are layers of narrative and and self-talk and self-belief and self-image and all of that stuff. Those are all thoughts that may be just below the conscious surface, but with mindful awareness in this perspective of the presence of God, we can dive into those things and we see and hear those narratives more clearly. And once we can hear them and realize what we're actually saying to ourselves, then we have the freedom to choose whether or not to continue believing those things. But we, we don't even know what we're operating based on when we can't hear those narratives or see what is actually blocking us. So this whole program, I'd say that's probably one of the greatest discoveries I've had in teaching this is so many of my students that I thought I was teaching how to reduce their anxiety by week six or seven are saying to me, I never knew in tears telling me, I never knew how much God loved me until this. Wow. I like, I've lived my whole life as a Catholic. You know, these are people daily mass, people that do the Marian consecration, people that pray their rosary every day, whatever it is. And there's this whole layer of just turning and receiving this love of God, which comes first. And people realize that, that there's a way to experience this emotionally, psychologically, humanly speaking, through our humanity itself, that we need to live in the love of God in a way that's not just spiritual. We are human. We are not spiritual beings. We're not angels. So we, we need to, through our biology, our physiology, our psychology, be living out our faith. And so that's what this course does is it connects the dots between our faith life and our actual psychological humanity that we're stuck in every single day. Oh, I love that. So I have so many questions here I'd like to ask you, and I apologize if I bombard you with all of them right now. But so with what you've just said, this mindfulness, this Catholic mindfulness, obviously it's Catholic mindfulness, which is so different than what we see today in other forms of, I would, you know, maybe mindfulness, I guess what some people would say. Right now I'm thinking of an example of yoga. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on the general form of yoga practice today? Because that seems to preach this mindfulness, this state of self-awareness, of connecting with your inner self versus what you're talking about with Catholic mindfulness. Yeah. So again, we have like, you know, we have all these different ideas that we have to dissect with truth. And that's what I love about my field is that we develop the language and the expertise to really go after this stuff. And it's not just fad. It's not just opinion. These are based on like really solid principles. And so the number one thing, you know, first of all, to say is across the board, like we're all humans trying to have some goodness in our life based on our human experience and across the board, whether whatever the faith is, whatever the people's worldview is like, there's something valuable about any perspective of what it is to be human and to live a good life. So when we think about something like paying attention to the present moment, awareness, focus, these are human qualities. And it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or an atheist or a native American or a Catholic being able to observe the goodness of paying attention to what's really happening in this present moment mm-hmm. is really valuable. Yeah. You know, and then we want to get into okay, so then what are the distinctions? What are the differences? What are the things we leave behind? And so then again, we can go in with this sort of fine-tuning 
scalpel with this precision and cut out pieces that are good and cut out the pieces that are bad. And so, you know, yoga is like a whole big, you know, huge hot topic. Obviously, you could Google and it's like explodes all over the place with all the controversy around yoga, whether you could practice it or not and all this stuff. Right. And, you know, I say a couple of things there. Using that scalpel, we'll see the human experience is exercising the body. Doesn't matter what background you're coming from. Exercising the body, stretching it in certain ways, are that those are valuable and good things. I had a physical therapist I had to see for a little while, and he gave me a whole uh, sequence of stretches to do. And I was doing those in front of somebody before, and they were like, oh, I didn't know you practice yoga. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just doing these exercises my physical therapist, a doctor, gave me to practice because of my hurt back. And they're like, oh, that's a, that's a vinyasa thing or whatever it is. It's a, you know, whatever, the sequence of these yoga moves. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know. I mean, it's interesting. I didn't know like what this actually was <laughs> in your perspective. This is just what my doctor told just me stretching. to do. <laughs> so the stretching, the body part, that's good. Now, then you have to look at like, what's the system of belief around it? What's the intention? What are the, you know, there are certain things like the names of things actually are important. So I've looked into yoga a little bit more. Yoga, the word itself, comes from the Hindu word that has to do with unity, and that's part of their system of belief that there's a unity in all being, and that's the only thing that's real. So diversity of being is an illusion, and unity of being is the only thing that's real. And that's what the word, actually the word yoga, comes from. So if I look at that and say, okay, that's interesting. So maybe the body exercises are healthy, but let's use language that is actually saying what we wanted to say. So I think there might be a problem to call something like Catholic yoga because it's almost like a contradiction in terms. It's kind of like if Protestants use the word communion or Eucharist and they're talking about the thing they do, but they're using a word that we've, you know, that we mean something entirely different by. So I say like out of respect for religions, even different worldviews, It's better to just have an understanding of like the words that we're using. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean putting your body in a certain position is somehow intrinsically evil. Right. And that's where I've gotten, I have a big problem with a lot of the so-called Catholic arguments against yoga is that like there's like this intrinsic suspicion of the body and it kind of goes into the whole theology of the body thing. Like nothing your body does can be intrinsically evil. Mm-hmm. So you're not, and besides that, the, the, the argument's a bit absurd. I mean, there's like over, last time I, I looked this up, there was like over 20,000 different yoga poses. So like if you're sitting, you're in a yoga pose. If you're standing, you're in a yoga pose. When you're lying down at night, you're in a yoga pose. So like everyone's doing yoga. Some, yeah, exactly. So if there's like something intrinsically evil about doing these poses, then we're all in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I agree. I agree. On that note, too, I can say that not that it's not a topic that can or, or should be dissected. You did that very very well. Thank you for that. But however, inside the Catholic Church, we have a, we, I think we may have some bigger fish to fry. So um, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing, too. It's, it's just it's so fascinating where people want to the hills that people want to die on are really interesting sometimes. <laughs> well, I, they want to put their stake in something sometimes. I guess that's how it is. But I really do appreciate that explanation. It's very helpful for me. And I know I have that question a lot here on the podcast, wanting to know a little bit about that. And I think what you have given us in light of Catholic mindfulness 
can really get at maybe what we're really looking for. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I, I like to do all that dissection because then I could really justify and defend really well what I'm doing because being faithful son of the church is pretty much the most important core element and value of my identity. So if I'm going to defend that, you know, and I'm open to interesting dialogue and, and needing to at times, but I really want to know what I'm talking about when it comes to this stuff. So like the word mindfulness is not Sanskrit. It's not Hindu. It's an English word, actually, mindfulness, and it means being mindful, which means being aware. It's just paying attention. There's nothing that's intrinsically wrong with using that word because it's actually an English word. We know what it means. And then what I show people, though, is, you know, sometimes a lot of the mindfulness practice that's out there is from a Buddhist worldview. And it is actually to be something to be concerned about, because what happens is it works. It lowers your defense mechanisms. It lowers your anxiety when you do the practice. And if you're being guided by an audio, like a YouTube video or some Hindu or Buddhist practitioner who then starts to make references to ideas that are contrary to our Christian worldview, you're not in a position with a guard up to really judge them. So for example, part of the Buddhist mindset that enters into mindfulness is that there is this unity in all being. So if you're doing your mindfulness, you've lowered your defenses, you're, you have zero anxiety, and you have this like openness to everything that's around you, and then that happens to be a voice saying to you, the sense of self is an illusion. You are not distinct from the world around you. Experience your unity with all that is. And da da da, da. Then like on the front end, that might not really do much, but I, there could definitely be some disturbance at the level of the spirit as you move on from there. So that's why it's really important that we make the distinction that say paying attention is really good. We need exercises to counteract the technology abuse and the social media abuse and everything else that we're just being run into the ground away from any kind of mindfulness is doing to us. But we need it to come from a Catholic perspective so that when I bring you to that place of lowered anxiety, focus, openness, and all of that, then what I'm telling you is, You have a father who loves you. You have nothing to worry about. You can trust him. Everything is going to be okay in the end, even if it doesn't seem like it today. He loves you and is taking care of you. Now, those are the ideas that are being planted in the depths of your psyche, which will actually move you towards flourishing and becoming the best version of yourself. And so that's why I feel like it's not just a matter of like, "Eh, can a Catholic practice it? It's really, it's an imperative. Catholics need to be practicing this. We have to know how to stay away from the Buddhist version of it, but we definitely need to go headfirst into this and really take it seriously. And I absolutely agree. Thank you so much for saying that. I couldn't agree more, not for myself or for myself, but also for so many people who listen and who I speak to in my work when I travel, I have experienced many, many women. I tend to gravitate towards them. They gravitate towards me for the work that I do for the Lord. But mm-hmm. many women come up to me and they are talking a lot. They talk about their experiences. And many of them, as some of the women that you had mentioned prior, these are, I mean, these are faithful faithful Catholics. These are faithful Christians. They are practicing their faith. They are active. They are aware of the need of daily prayer and they, they dive into it. But yet... They have this so much anxiety and it seems to be coming from, at least on the surface to me, from this deep self-doubt and this lack of self-value that 
we're all walking around with. And it's kind of like the walking wounded. And mm. I just, I just wonder what can, what can we do? What, what do you think as in your professional opinion is aiding in this tremendous amount of people today who seem to be carrying around this very similar wound? Well, it's a, it's a huge question. It's a great question. I think that, you know, we have so much going against us in social media and technology. And I mean, all the work that you're doing to battle this is, you know, you're, you're just, you're going head on and coming out of the industry and the experience that you've had, you, you can see it so clearly that this is like right up on the surface. Oh yeah. And you know, where I'm coming from is a little bit more sort of under the surface and sort of looking at the deeper which I'm sure this is something you've seen clearly, but, you know, focusing on the love of the father, I think is really important because, you know, Jesus reveals God as father and we all know how important fathers are. And even looking at the data, like the difference between a daughter father relationship and a son father relationship, like what fathers in the home do for young girls is just amazing research. And so having this understanding of God, the father who validates and gives value to your being as a, as a woman sets everything else totally on fire in living the way that you're created to live. And what I see here is, you know, we are all broken. And, you know, I say that as a, as a man and as a father. And so when I say this, it's not to point fingers, but most fathers on some level are imperfect, and so we, we have this experience of imperfect fathers who maybe didn't validate us and what that can do for a young girl and her sense of self and her sense of value and dignity and knowing that she's worth sort of stepping out into the world and holding on to, you know, these things that are most important. It can be really crippling. So that's where this whole thing becomes really, really powerful in the spiritual life. And it's that understanding of God as a father who really loves me. And most of those people, most of those students who phrase it the way that I said before, I never knew how much God loves me. Most of those students are women mm -hmm. because it's just a different language. It's a different sort of lineup. Now, my male students also have these profound experiences of God, but it's almost like this different sense of like empowerment and and identity and, you know, it's like kind of like that love and respect distinction, if you're familiar with that language. You know, there's like this deeper, there's, it's, it's validation on the same level. Right. But it's, it's the love of God the Father as it's translated in the feminine heart that can heal those wounds of identity and value and, and self-worth. Yeah, it's that receptivity. Exactly. It's, that's what we crave and we were so open and how God has made us female for that, to receive love, to receive him and those wounds from our past or from our family life or from many, many things can impede that. And it's like taking away those walls, breaking them down to receive the love of the father. And it's, it is for women, it's, <laughs> it's all we need. It's all anybody needs. Uh, but for a woman made female and our receptivity and that part of the feminine genius, it's just, it takes hold and it takes root. It's true. It's, it's, and you know, the receptivity piece, you said, you know, it's what you're craving, but it's, it's also kind of like the default position and you're wide open and for a little girl, just wide open for anything. 
and and there's this core sense of who I am. Like it's like there's this there's this sense that you know you have value, and you're you're open and receptive, and just waiting for anything to validate that within you. Oh, and and so you're looking for it everywhere, and then when it doesn't come from a father or it comes imperfectly, then you start messing with yourself. And that's when you start doubting yourself and oh, maybe I don't have a good sense of who I really am. Maybe I was wrong. And, or maybe I need to block myself then from what messages are going to come through this channel of receptivity. And so that's when things get really squirrely. And that's, you know, that's what causes so much of this pain and, and dysfunction. And so then you know, again, when we open up to the true love of God, the father, that's that healing balm that goes straight through to the core and it restores that sense of self. And, and you can breathe that sigh of relief and it's painful, but the sigh is, it was true all along. I was right. I actually am this good. And it's almost like recalling a history of a memory that you've forgotten about for so long. And then all the pain that comes with it of realizing how wrong You've been educated in a system that has, you know, basically taught you that you're wrong. And then there's layers and layers and layers of all the other things that need to be worked through there. But that's essentially it. I mean, that's basically the work. It cuts right to the core at that level. Oh, man. I'm just waiting for you to keep on going. Everything you're saying is so fantastic. And I I know that this is resonating with all of us as we listen to this the healing balm that restores the love of the father that 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 is is so beautiful it reminds me of i know i've mentioned it on a few other podcasts so i'll say it again but if you are an avid listener you probably know what i'm going to mention but it reminds me of in the sistine chapel michelangelo's painting of creation and in particular the piece where he has painted god the father with eve underneath his arm mm. and when you mentioned of how when one realizes or becomes reacquainted with this almost past memory, this moment in history of, of that they were made very good and that God loves them fully, completely, it goes back to that image of how Michelangelo was painting Eve. This is before the fall. This is Eve when she was literally underneath the arm of God. Her other, her arm, her left arm is gripping the forearm of God. She's on, she's holding on to him tight. And it's just mm. getting back to that place of knowing our worth, our value, our identity in God the Father. It reminds me again of this other, this, this quote, I guess this phrase that John Paul II had said at some point, and I apologize for not knowing exactly where, but he says, it all comes down to this, father, child, love. Mm. And it just... Mm. At the end of the day, that seems like everything of what you're saying is that's what this comes down to in search of and and more often than not restoring how we understand and also surrender and accept the love of God, the father of who yes, we are as his child. Oh, it's so good. It's so important. And that's that's exactly it. And and we have, you know, like the, the amazing thing about the human person is we have these psyches and these these minds that can do all sorts of, you know, jujitsu maneuvers around suffering and pain and things that can attack us. And, you know, we develop all these, all of these defense mechanisms and, you know, we complicate things so much. And, and a lot of the work that I do is just helping people kind of walk those things back or, or dismantle them entirely sometimes. But that's, you know, I was recently with a group of Catholic millennials and employees actually at a at a, a really vibrant, awesome Catholic organization. 
and people really on fire with their faith. And I was like, you know, you guys are like my my favorite people to work with. Like, you know, just kind of generally you embody the the sort of demographic that I just get so much life out of working with. I was like, I want to I want to help you more. Like what help me understand your pain point. Like what's the one thing that defines your group? And after we batted around some things for a while, it kind of emerged that they feel like they're not really loved by God on an emotionally deep level. Mm. And it struck me so, so deeply. It was surprising that this group of people is saying this right now. And I'm like, really, that's it? And then, and the girl I was talking to was like very firm. She's like, hundred percent, that's right. And I was like, and you think that's everybody here? And she looked around and they were all nodding their head. Yes, there was about seven of us in the room and they all started chiming in. And I was literally in tears. It broke my heart so deeply that this group of people who are on fire with love for God, and they're doing tremendous, amazing work to bring other people to know and love God, don't know at their core that they're so loved by God themselves. And they feel like there's something wrong with them. There's something blocking them. You know, they can sort of, they spiritualize it like, well, I must be in a dark night or it must be a, you know, spiritual desert or desolation, like all these things. At the end of the day, all they're saying is they don't feel loved. Right. And it really broke my heart. It was like, my gosh, what, how did we get here? That you're that you guys are like the best hope the church has for pushing <laughs> forward through this mess that we're in right now. And and yet you yourselves don't have this this freedom of that sense of being loved by God. And it, it changes everything. I think that's what we need to really do a lot to communicate. Absolutely. I could not agree more to everything that you're saying here. I I see it as well in my own work. And when I get to meet and interact with many people who are on board with a podcast or other or with Lakshu or other different areas. And I think that where you're going with this is such a need, as you know, and as we've already said, it's not just this, as you mentioned, this one group that you are working with who is on fire and they're serving the church and they're wonderful people, you know, probably more than likely relatively well-formed and they're having this issue. Right. What, this is the issue that's going on everywhere, it seems like. I mean, inside the church, outside the church, this is the human issue of today. Right. Truly, I believe that with all my heart because we have, in my opinion, we have forgotten what it means to be human. Yes. And when you forget how to be human, then you forget who you are and whose you are and who loves you and who made you and who you, God yes. has called you to be. Well, everything from identity to, I mean, everything else falls to pieces. Exactly. A hundred percent. Amen. That's exactly it. And, and yet we can never escape the core, no matter how deeply it's buried, the core sense of dignity that we, we've somewhere down there believe that we're actually owed. So like that, like our own nature, it's the deepest thing. And so no matter how far away we get from it, there's always going to be this inner psychological psyche level tension, this conflict between how I'm living, how I'm being treated, how I think about myself, the kinds of relationships I put myself into, the kind of future that I even think I'm capable of, like all of that is our real experience. And then it's all completely at odds with this buried unconscious core sense of self that we know that we're that we're really amazing and beautiful in our humanity 
And so we, we have to, that's, that is the pain and suffering of our culture, is that disconnect between who we really are and what we really think about ourselves. Yes, and there's so many groups and now just splintered off a million times over again and separating everybody out by what they believe or who they love or how they feel about themselves on a certain day. And they all are trying to find this group to feel that acceptance and to feel that love. And so they create another group that split off from that other group because they weren't fully accepted there. And, you know, praise be to God, we have this great philosophy and theology of being Catholic to see the lack of integration that's going on all throughout our world. And it's coming back down to everything that you've already you know, laid out here for us is this, this love of God, the father that we have not recognized or we have forgotten or we have refused. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly the word that I'm using more and more now is integration. That's ultimately what it, I think that defines the human problem. I cover this a little bit in my course on Catholic mindfulness, but you know, Catholic mindfulness is like one manifestation of this. And it was sort of like the low hanging fruit that was really easy to go after because it is so it's already proven to work. And there's so much research and data and it's really helpful for people. But, you know, I really want to take this and run with it and sort of, you know, blow it out to the bigger concept, which then can affect everybody. This is how we parent our children. This is how I dated my wife. This is how I, you know, this is what I bring into marriage. This is how I treat my employees. This is how I built a whole model of therapy and practicing of Catholic psychology. I mean, literally, it's endless. Anything that's part of our human experience can be looked at through this lens of doing it as an integrated human person versus the disintegrated way to do it. And ultimately, we'll find peace and healing and flourishing by applying that to everything that we do. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love that word integrated. It's in some ways, it's not offensive, is it? No, not at all. It, it kind of like, it's a little challenging, but sort of like in an invitation kind of way. Right. Absolutely. I think, I think almost, I have a feeling some people would prefer that word integrated, like an integrated life over maybe something else. I'm not quite sure, but this, it sounds like it would be all the things that you've been created to be working together at the core of who you are created as a son or daughter of God um, yeah. through the the journey and the path and the vocation God has you on. I want to go on so much more. We're running out of time. I would love to have you back actually to talk more about integration, especially as being a Catholic today and how we can approach our world and some of the challenges that we have with our faith or with dealing with people who maybe say they're Catholic, but are not living this integrated life and how we can yeah. love, approach and talk about that. Would you mind coming back? so we can do that. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. Not that I put you on the spot in the middle of a podcast. I mean, at what point you're like, no, I, this is horrible. I, I don't want to do this anymore. No, I, would, I totally would love to. It's kind of a really bad kind of way to make you do something. But anyway, um, sorry that's about a, that's that. That's a great technique right there. Right? It's just, listen, I'm the oldest of six kids. If I didn't learn how to, you know, dictate and be bossy, I mean, what was I really doing in my family life there? That's it. That's awesome. Important life lessons. Exactly. You have to be careful, y'all. You should always ask people where they are in their family lineup to figure out yeah. who you're talking to <laughs> before you jump into a conversation. Sorry, I'm an oldest as well, so I, I can counter it. There you and, go. Uh, you could have you could have given it back to me. I've been like, well, okay, fine, all right. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely edit that out, but okay. Thanks for speaking up. Okay, perfect. Well, before we wrap up, would you please give us a challenge for the day? A challenge for the day, I would say, is to take five minutes 
to completely unplug yourself from everything else that's going on around you through your phone, through computer, through technology, whatever, and just do something that you, you have to feel this. You have to feel that it's a waste of your time. Mm. Five minutes wasting your time. That's my challenge. And then if the second step to that, if you want to go further with it, is to observe what kinds of thoughts and feelings come from making yourself do that. Wow. So let me ask you a question on that challenge. I've never, <laughs> I've never challenged a challenge. I've never, I've never, not once, and here I am. I'm not challenging it. I just want to know. You're the firstborn <laughs> showing up now to do battle. I know, I am. <laughs> okay, so... What do you say to someone who feels the need to always be busy? There could be rightfully so many things in our lives that make us feel that way, like, you know, family, kids, work, home life. And so to relax, to not do anything really, truly, authentically feels like waste of time. Where do you go? What would you suggest or, or to help someone get to the place to get to, to even to be able to approach this challenge? Well, on some level, it's not going to be easy. That's the I thought that was the point of a challenge in the first place. Right. But if, right. You, know, you can't make it too easy. But I mean, there's a lot behind this. Number one, it has to do with our relationship with God. And, you know, something that I love that Pope Francis says a number of times is to parents. He says, don't be afraid to waste time with your kids. And if you look deeper in that, what you're doing as a parent and waste in your mind, if you're wasting time with them in their minds, you're affirming their value and dignity as human beings. And so the time spent teaches them that they're valuable, even though you feel like you're wasting time. But that's the opposite for them. And ultimately, what that means is that we need to allow ourselves to be loved like that by God, our father. So what we've been trained to feel like is wasting time is actually just being in the presence of our creator. And, and at the end of the day, that's what's going to correct the, and heal the wounds in terms of our own self-worth and, and our own self-evaluation. So that's the challenge. It's like we got to push into that a little bit. We have to fight against the miseducation we've received. And ultimately, that's the best way to teach somebody how to be silent. There's that great book by Cardinal Seurat on the power of silence. Yes, yes. And, you know, there's so much in there and it's, again, it's so good, but we have to like translate this into something that we, the language we speak. And that's what I've come on is like, that's the best way to translate that. If you don't, this is to anybody in our culture. Like I wouldn't say this to like a monk, but like somebody that's in our culture and maybe some monks too. But if you want to know if you're really being silent, my question is, do you feel like you're wasting your time? And if you say, yes, I feel like I'm wasting my time. It's really making me upset. It's causing me anxiety, frustration, da, da, da. This is such a waste of time. Then I say, good, you're on the right track. That's how it's supposed to, that's how it will feel for you to unplug from busyness. The psychological lens, you know, I could put that hat on and say, listen, this is part of your fight or flight system. This is your sympathetic nervous response. You feel like there's a fire that has to put it, be put out. And so you're, you're racing around putting out fires all day. It's, I could show you where that's happening in your brain. I can tell you about the biochemicals. There's an injection I could give you or a pill which will counteract that chemical, make you feel something different. Like you can look at it through that lens. Ultimately though, it's not human to live that way. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious about the things of your life. 
And why? It's because we have a father who takes care of everything, who loves us. So we need to emotionally, cognitively, mentally, psychologically live according to our faith. And that's when we talk about the disintegrated Catholic. We're all disintegrated Catholics because even the most orthodox faithful Catholics will still have just as much problem with that challenge and have just as much difficulty not running around putting out fires as anybody else who doesn't believe by faith that they have a father who takes care of everything. So the question is, do you really have faith? Do we really put this into practice in our lives in a way that's totally human on an integrated level? Or is it something we just say spiritually because it sounds good or we want to believe it, but we're not really living it out in a totally human way? So that's, that's, it's a bigger challenge than what it probably sounded like at first, but that's every, that's everything that's behind the challenge. I love it. And, and I'm not going to apologize. I am happy I challenged that because that explanation was so helpful. So helpful. Thank you so much for adding that. I, that just really capped it off. Thank you so much for the challenge and, and helping us be brave enough to accept it as well. Well, thank you for pushing on it. I'm glad I got to talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, it was really, really good. Okay, this has been amazing. You are amazing. You truly are, you know, in the words of Mother Teresa, doing something beautiful for God and how you're serving the church in so many ways, as well as obviously just you being you outside of being a psychologist, but you being you, you being Greg, you being um, a husband, you being a dad. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, thank you so much. That's that's so wonderful to hear that. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And uh, I'm happy to support you guys and uh, anything I can do for you or your audience. I'm, I'm happy to. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have all of the links for you to get in touch with CatholicMindfulness.com on in the show notes. And remember a few things too. If you want to, if you want to go ahead and support the Do Something Beautiful podcast, you can become a patron of the podcast. There's some really fun tiers that you can look at. Again, those links will be in the show notes. Patreon.com slash Leodaro you can find out more and you can get some fun exclusive podcast goodies um, sent to you depending on what tier you would like to support us at and remember whatever you do today do something beautiful for God God love you God bless and I'll talk to you later